I was in the house gallery and, um, you know, it was kind of a business as usual day until all hell broke loose. This is wrong. It is absolutely wrong. It is un-American, period. They should stop, period. This is America Unfiltered, a fresh, raw look at U.S. politics, foreign policy, and media. With me, Scott Lucas in Birmingham in the U.K. And me, Liam Kennedy in Dublin in Ireland. The Trump presidency is coming to an end in a shocking spectacle of violent protest in Washington. Or let's call it what it is, violent insurrection. This is the logical and symbolic outcome of this presidency and its core aim trashing democracy. It was orchestrated by the president, indirectly through his perverse refusal to recognize the election results and the advent of Joe Biden as president of the United States. It was also more directly orchestrated by Trump in recent rallies and tweets. On the 20th of December, he tweeted, big protest in DC on January 6th, be there, will be wild. Well, it was wild. And as the shockwaves recede, many questions need answering. Why was policing so inadequate? Will Trump be impeached or the 25th Amendment be invoked? Will the transfer of power now go forward peacefully? Where now for the Republican Party? And, lest we forget, given the events in the Capitol on Wednesday, that was also the day on which two Democratic senators were elected in Georgia. One of them, African-American pastor, Reverend Raphael Warnock, the first black senator to represent the state of Georgia. Whichever way you look at it was a historic day. Scott, where do we start? I think you've laid it out pretty well. Um, I simply would see your insurrection and raise you with attempted coup. Um, the reason why I say that, you know, insurrection, eh, that's sort of like, you know, North versus South when we sort of up and caused a bit of problem in the Civil War. And why I say it was interesting because I actually was on air with a Turkish television station on Wednesday, uh, would have been Wednesday afternoon, Washington time. I was watching the live feed as I was speaking, and the Trump supporters start to move up the steps, pushing aside Capitol Police, go through the barricades. And all of a sudden, trying to be an analyst on that day, which, remember, was supposed to be about the confirmation of Joe Biden through his Electoral College victory by Congress. Now it's like, I've got to start narrating this possible attack on the Capitol. And so I'm trying to work through, you know, really quickly, what does it mean? What has it been? And it just simply was too apparent that only a couple of hours earlier, Donald Trump had been addressing some of those people. And there were only about several hundred of them. So we need to keep this in perspective. There were only about several hundred, but some of them had been outside the White House listening to Trump. And he had told them, go to the Capitol. And he didn't say storm the building, but he had failed to get the courts to overturn the election. He had failed to get state legislators to overturn the election, despite his phone calls, including one last weekend, threatening officials, including the Republican officials in Georgia. He had failed to get Congress, or he was going to fail to get Congress to overturn the election. He had failed to get Vice President Mike Pence to intervene in Wednesday's proceedings to overturn the election. So this was his last play. 
you know, the, you know, his his diehards to go in. Um, and although he didn't, you know, he might not have, you know, set the fire in the Capitol, but he threw the match um, to set it off. So, yes, attempted coup. Someone who was trying to avoid leaving office on January the 20th and clinging on to power by using the threat of violence. I think we can answer a couple of your questions in the intervening um, almost 48 hours since then. I don't think Trump will be impeached because there's not enough time. I don't think the 25th Amendment will be invoked because Vice President Mike Pence and a majority of the cabinet who would have to carry this out will do it because it'll widen the split within the Republican Party because it will just get the Trumpist. And here, I'm just going to flag this up for us to discuss later on. There's no longer a single Republican Party. There is a Republican Party that plays by the rules, and then there are the Trumpist. And I don't think Pence wants to pick a fight with the Trumpist in the next 12 days. That said, the threat of the 25th Amendment being invoked, and I think possibly even more significant, Twitter and Facebook banning Trump from continuing his disinformation since Wednesday means that either Trump has climbed down or his staff have taken over in his name to climb down with this statement, this very brief video statement um, on Thursday night, which said he is going to accept an orderly transition. So, you know, that still leaves questions. And I'll just flag these up. Um, I think we know the Biden administration will come in on January 20th around unity, competence and responsibility and begin to do repair work not only over this immediate political crisis, but remember, we have a coronavirus pandemic where more than 360,000 Americans are dead, estimated 500,000 dead by March. The economic effects of that, social issues, racial issues, immigration, climate change, we know that part of the equation. What we don't know is the other side of the equation. And that is, all right, we've got a Congress where Democrats have narrow majorities in the House, and now they have the 50-50 Senate with Kamala Harris, the vice president, as the deciding vote. But the huge questions from here, too, it's, it's not Biden administration versus Republicans. First of all, it is how Donald Trump is going to behave himself, whether he is going to very quickly go back and repeat the disinformation, stolen election, rigged election, deep state against me, either because he's going to set up to run for president in 2024 or he wants to get his Trumpist, his loyalist in in 2022. And how does he get them in? That leads to the second question. He will be supporting candidates against other Republicans in primaries for the House and for the Senate and for governor's houses. Do the Republicans have an ongoing, some have said civil war, but at least split through 2021? So it's no longer Mitch McConnell in the Senate over a united Republican Party. He's got to watch his back as well. Uh, That just one fact to throw in, which still lingers with me since Wednesday. After all the turmoil, after all the chaos, after five that are now dead, police officer, Trump supporter, three others from medical emergencies, there were still six Republican senators that sided with Trump in and with his disinformation to refuse the recognition of Joe Biden as the 46th president. There were 122 Republican members of the House more than 60% of Republican House legislators who sided with Trump and objected to Biden as the 46th president. That's a large contingent. 
And each of those 122 House members is going to be running for re-election in 2022. And at least two of those six senators, Ted Cruz of Texas, Josh Hawley of Missouri, want to be president in 2024. So how do you negotiate establishment Republicans versus Trumpist. That, I think, is an even bigger immediate question than the question of Biden versus the Republican. I think that tallies as well what you're saying about the Republicans being split. Um, it, it, it tallies with the um, some of the polls and surveys very immediately after the events of Wednesday that have been asking Republicans and Democrats how they responded to those events. What did they see, or at least what did they think they saw, which, of course, is an ideological question. It's not just a question of perception. And for example, we're told by YouGov that only 27% of Republicans thought that what they saw was a threat to democracy. Only 27%. 93% of Democrats perceived the attack on the Capitol building as a threat to democracy. These are different worldviews, Scott. These are two different Americas. You know, you're talking about two different uh, split parties. These are two different Americas. And I wonder if in some ways that's what so symbolically come home to roost on Wednesday both through what happened in Washington and what happened in Georgia, in their different ways, they show us that America is so profoundly split that all this talk about Biden healing and pulling things together, I think it's nonsense. I think Biden's going to do what Biden already did effectively uh, with this very powerful statement uh, responding to the events on Wednesday when he came through and said, look, this isn't Democrat versus Republican. This is not left versus right. This is a dark day in history for our system, and we've got to rise to the occasion. A statement, by the way, which came out before Trump's initial video reaction, which remember, because it was very different from what he said yesterday about a heinous attack. He said to those people that attacked the Capitol, we love you. You're very special, right? So you had Biden presenting that idea of that we are beyond Democrat versus Republican and then extending it with a statement yesterday where he talked about domestic terrorism and specifically said the president is fomenting this. Now, why is that important from what you've just said about Republicans? I don't think those polls are just Republican versus Democrat, Liam. I mean, I'll add one more, which is more than half Republicans uh, blame Joe Biden for what happened on Wednesday. But remember, what we're seeing right now is that a majority Despite those numbers I gave you earlier, a majority of Republican senators, a clear majority of Republican senators, and a significant number of Republican representatives are saying, yes, this is a threat to democracy. Mitch McConnell gave a very powerful speech, even before the attack, where he said, look, it's time to stop blocking this. You know, we've got to uphold the U.S. Constitution. And then after the attack, when they reconvened, both McConnell and Mike Pence talk about how the Congress had stood firm against the thugs. Now, those thugs are inside the party. Yeah, those thugs are inside the party. I, I, I'm not so sure. Um, I, I heard Biden's speech on Wednesday. I thought it was powerful. I thought it represented the views of a highly competent and decent politician who believed what he said. But I didn't believe what he said. What he said was that what's happening inside that building is the work of a few extremists, and it does not represent the true America. I disagree. I think that what we saw happening in that building does represent the true America. Distorted, uh, worrying, frightening, violent. I think that what we saw is where America is today. But the one thing I go back to that is, is that for four years, we've seen this type of America and we've seen the exploitation of it by Donald Trump as the snake oil salesman. 
I think the difference right here is probably twofold. First is Trump couldn't get where he was on his own, even with that version of America. He had to be enabled. And Mitch McConnell was his enabler in the Senate. There were other enablers amongst the Republican Party. If they no longer enable Trump, I'm not sure they enable that part of America. And the second is, of course, just with that America is how much of that America has traction with fellow Americans. And I am struck by the fact that I'm watching very closely friends and family and how they react to Wednesday. And there's a whole variety of responses from those who have dug in uh, from and said it's, it's still Biden's fault to those who have said there is no way we can accept this type of America beyond it. But let me ask you one thing, which I think might turn upon this, and that is is the element of perform- how powerful is performance here? I think it's absolutely powerful. I think that what we saw um, on uh, outside the Capitol building and then, of course, inside the Capitol building was a spectacular performance in all kinds of ways. Um, for example, you know, the, the way these people were dressed, it was all over the top. It wasn't normative everyday dress in many ways. It was it was crazy stuff. A lot of them dressed up as superheroes, you know, wearing coonskin hats, all kinds of you know, symbolic, crazy things. But uh, in other words, you know, for the folks involved, it wasn't that crazy. A lot of the symbolism meant something to them. I think essentially what you saw there was a kind of, I mean, it's disparate, but I'd call it an alt-right counterculture going to symbolic battle. I think that's what they saw themselves doing. And I think many of them were prepped to do it. They were prepared to do it. And so the scaling of the building, the wandering around inside it, yes, it was chaotic, but also it was full of symbolism for the people in the know. And I don't think the people in the know are what Biden was calling a handful of extremists. I think we're talking about millions of Americans in social media who see those codes, who see those symbols, who think insurrection, and actually are getting a lot of pleasure out of watching this stuff. That's very frightening. But yes, I think it was deeply performative. But this is something we have learned through the Trump years. People look at Trump and they say, look, it's all political theater. You know, we can ignore this stuff. It's not real world. The political theater is real. And the political theater brought deaths in Washington. To add a black comedy moment, one of the people in one of the featured shots, the one next to the guy in what's been called the Chewbacca bikini, who turns out to be the, the, the Nazi Satanist, I think it is, right? Or the Nazi witch. The guy next to him is dressed up in some weird outfit, but he's wearing his work badge. Uh, he's now been sacked by his employer, by the way. I just think that's a, you know, there are all kinds of telling moments, but I'm still going to come back to the fact that there are only, from a political point of view, there were still only several hundred people there. It's not like we had 10,000s in Washington, and it's not like we have seen then or since, in the 40 hours since, that we've seen performances in other cities like this. Here's my question. If Donald Trump is prevented from performing, which we have seen in the last 24 hours because of the Twitter block and the Facebook ban, does that change what you're saying? No, I think if you cut off the head of the snake, it's going to keep, it's going to survive okay. in various ways. I, I, I really do. Um, and of course the, the image of the rattlesnake is one of the coded images of the alt right. And there were many flags displaying it in Washington. I think that we, we need to think about not just a handful of demonstrators entering a building. We need to think about what does that say to us about the idea of America that they're carrying there with them. And I think that idea of America is shared by millions of Americans. I don't think it's a handful of extremists. And I think that that is largely due to the um, combination of conspiracy theory and social media. Now, that combination, which is toxic, 
has been made more toxic through the president and his leadership and his riling and stoking uh, of rhetoric, which has eventually led to violence. If you take him away, does that dampen it down? I'm not sure it does. I think there's a sense of an, an other America that, that I don't fully un, fully understand. I'm, uh, you know, you, you've grown up there. Maybe you have a sense of it that I, I don't get. But I think there is an other America there that is not going to go away. And that we have a lot of challenges down the way here. You yourself mentioned the term civil war. I mean, let's talk about that for a minute. You know, people use it, I think, all too loosely. Um, can we simply put it to one side as um, a crazy idea? Or should we be talking about it? Look, I think the difference for me is that it is one thing for that other America to hit Democrats, to hit liberals, to hit the Chinese, to hit immigrants, to hit blacks. It's different when they hit the Capitol. You've got to remember that you and I have discussed for years the American myth. And there are still certain fundamentals in that American myth that, you know, you're supposed to you know, even if you rail against government and you rail against the deep state, you know, you've got this belief in flag, in country and in the capital. And that's, you know, you might say, all right, they can now cross that line and convert that image of America where even the capital is seen as not being fixed. That, you know, because remember, they didn't go in, they didn't go in to liberate the capital. They didn't go in to repair the capital. They damaged the capital. They went into the Capitol to take pictures of themselves going into the Capitol. I mean, that's the performative element of this, right? Suggests that that is something they want to feed back into another different, you know, public sphere, which is, you know, the social media crazy world, an alternative, you know, conservative media ecosystem, which you and I may not occupy, but millions of Americans occupy that media system. But in the course of that, and again, you know, we're having to negotiate the fact I agree with you about the social media system. We've got it, but we also have talked about that interaction between the social media system and other, as it were, media systems that take place. So they feed back those images where they're posing in Nancy Pelosi's office, the guy with his feet on her desk. They're posing in the Senate chamber, dancing around there. But at the same time, those other media systems are showing the images of them shattering windows. They're showing images of them where there's a, a lone Capitol policeman and they're pursuing him up the stairs, although he's leading them up the stairs deliberately because he's got backup up there, right? In other words, let me put this paradox to you to get to the heart of this. And maybe, maybe it's not a paradox for that other America, but it certainly would be for Donald Trump. During the summer, Donald Trump was running a campaign where he talked about the fact you've got to support the police, you've got to support law and order. They're defending the country. And he was using that against Black Lives Matter and against anti-racism protest. Here we are six months later, and those forces of law and order are being attacked by Trump supporters who he has instigated. That's 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 the contradiction, as you were, the tension that I'm still trying to work around. This is where we're coming at it in different ways. I think if you're part of that other America, there is no contradiction. The contradiction okay. is there for, let's call it what they are, liberals. They're the ones with the contradictions, which probably includes us if we're honest about it at some level. If you are within that conservative media bubble, which I believe includes millions of Americans, not a few extremists, right? There is no paradox. There is no contradiction. After all, when we had people, uh, that mob was pushing up against the police, you could see a flag which said, blue lives matter. Now, to you and I, that's absurd, ironic, and maybe funny. 
but there's no contradiction for the guys holding the flag, right? Also, we have Trump actually tweeting as they're doing it, we are the party of law and order. He actually tweeted that. We are the party of law and order. So I would ask you, if there's no contradiction there for those folks, how did they live that? And the only answer to that is they live an alternative reality. They have a different idea of what law and order means if they're inside that bubble. And that's frightening. And that is part of the paradox of this other America in that these folks are both privileged, they're white, and yet they feel that they are the victims in America at the same time. That's the paradox, but they don't see it as a paradox. Brian Kloss joined us, you know, the excellent analyst before the election. And he had actually said, you know, that if the Republicans suffered a defeat, it would be a critical moment for the party. Didn't know quite which way it would go. Now, it, it didn't quite pan out that way immediately because the Republicans thought they would hold on to the Senate. They no longer do that. Uh, and Donald Trump kept saying he didn't lose in a landslide. And although he did lose by a very large margin, in fact, he covered that up. Do you think this other America that with Trump's position is right now, and let's assume he stays out of prison, do you think he can continue to be and pose as the leader of that other America? Or does it have to be handed off to someone else? I don't know the answer to that. I think that's going to be absolutely fascinating is just how much power he can maintain. Um, You know, will he be a future kingmaker for the Republican Party? I think to some degree, at least for the next year or so, one suspects he will be. Has he himself somehow been damaged within that uh, scenario? Um, Because there's a sense that he is too close to what we saw a few days ago, that some people may step back from him. I don't know the answer to that. But I do think that uh, there, there, there is no obvious individual who I think can perform the head of the snake in the way that Trump has done it. Not even many uh, Trump. Uh, there are uh, obviously at least one, if not two, of his children who are potentially being groomed to take on that role. But I, I don't think their snake oil is as, as powerful as his. You don't think Ted Cruz can do it? Well, if you're talking snake oil, I think he's certainly somebody to talk about. I think it's certainly he would be probably next in line as things stand. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, unless Josh Hawley, who's the, the the young senator from Missouri, who really has used this attempt to overturn Biden's election as his stepping stone to prominence. That would be the person I would watch from within the Senate as well. Um, I would also watch a governor named Kirstie Noem out of South Dakota, of all places. Uh, she was diehard in for Trump, supported all of Trump's disinformation, has supported the objections to the coronavirus restrictions uh, significantly. And Trump himself has actually said he'll support her um, in 2022 against a senator named John Toon, the incumbent senator from South Dakota, who is the second ranking Republican in the Senate. Anyway, possibly straying a little bit far here. Let, let me just take it a step further. All right, fine. We, we see if anyone can be the head of this other Americans. So you're telling me that Joe Biden and the Biden administration, there's no bridge they can build back across to the Trumpist. I'm not absolutely sure of that. I think that Biden certainly will make an effort. I think in certain uh, quarters, there's um, an idea emerging that the, the trauma of the last few days may, may help him build bridges, at least in the interim. Mm-hmm. I, I could see that. I would like to believe it. I think control of Senate is precarious that he now has, you know, with uh, um, the vote that will um, be decided, the 50-50 vote being decided by the vice president, Kamala Harris. That means that um, there is some chance of him moving forward with uh, aspects of his legislative agenda 
agenda that he might not have moved forward with. But I'd like your view on this. It seems to me he's still going to be stymied. I can't imagine he's going to be pushing forward to change the Supreme Court. Uh, I, I mean, in other words, I, I think that he has now more room for maneuver than he had. He's more room to build bridges. I mean, um, one way he might do that, for example, is is to, to pick up the idea of the, I think it's called the For the People Act uh, that was put forward in 2019 through the House, but didn't get through the Senate. That act would allow certain changes around issues of gerrymandering. It would help to ensure that there's some protections put in place in the electoral process. Maybe he could start to build a bit of trust in the electoral process. I've been quite positive here. I'm saying I can see certain things there, but you know, for me, that's very positive. What's your view? You've lined up what the play is. Um, I think Biden and his administration, because you still have a 50-50 Senate, only a narrow majority in the House, you don't go for big legislation. You don't go for the $3 trillion Green New Deal or his version of the Green New Deal. You don't go for sweeping extension of Obamacare, but you protect what you have. And you do that through executive orders, for example. So you safeguard Obamacare. You bring back in some environmental regulations that Trump stripped. You declare your intention at some point to get back into the Paris Accords, probably not immediately on climate change. You protect the dreamers from deportation. These are the 800,000 undocumented, young undocumented immigrants threatened by, threatened by Trump. Uh, in other words, you, you carry out these steps which are within the gift of the president, especially on the social fronts. And essentially, you show competence in dealing with the pandemic. You know, the vaccine distribution, while the vaccines are being distributed, uh, not exactly a mask order. You can't do that, but mask recommendations. Uh, and you do all of this while reaching out to part of the Republicans. Uh, Mitch McConnell may rethink that he was going to obstruct the Biden administration from day one, which is where he was. That's going to be interesting to watch. But there are other moderate Republicans. We could talk, you know, obviously Mitt Romney of, uh, you know, of Utah, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Ben Sass of Nebraska, who I think wants to run for president one day as the anti-Trump candidate. Um, you know, in other words, you may not be able to build the bridge across to the Trumpist, but you build the bridge across to the establishment Republicans who are having to face the threat of the Trumpist. I think that's probably the play. I don't think it negates what you've said about the other America, but I think it raises this question, which maybe we take on next podcast. I think we're going to come back to these different Americas as we go forward uh, into a new series uh, of America Unfiltered in the coming weeks. This particular episode is closing off uh, 2020, uh, a memorable year. We're looking forward to 2021. Thanks for being with us. 